New Year and welcome to the January Beatcast. I'm Francesca Broom, your host and Knowledge Exchange Manager for BBRO. This month, Simon and I returned to Holcomb Farming in North Norfolk to meet farm manager James Beamish and data analyst Dominic Swan of Catalyst Farming. We're going to discuss why data has such an important role in farm management, what kind of data they're collecting and the impact and changes they expect to see. So we're on the second part of our interviews here at Holcomb Farm. And today I'm actually joined by Dominic Swan, who's the lead data analyst for Catalyst Farming. So can you just tell me a little bit about yourself, Dominic, and uh, what your role is here? Uh, yeah, so we we started this sort of joint venture between these four farms um, about 18 months ago now. And it's really looking at collecting and, and sharing the data uh, between the four farms to improve the way we, we farm and make us better farmers. So um, farming background? Uh, I went to Newcastle University and studied agriculture. Um, previous to that, I've worked some harvests um, on one of the one of the farms in the group. Well, I guess you'd had a, a little bit of a link to farming, but it's a change of role to then go into data analysis. I imagine most of your time is spent behind a computer. Uh, yes, certainly at this time of year, especially there's a there's a lot of data to now go through and analyse. There's during the growing season, I spend quite a lot of time out in the field collecting that data as well. There's, there's a lot of plant counts, till accounts, green area index. There's, there's a lot of data to collect in person out in the field. Yeah, Catalyst Farming, those four businesses pooling their data together. We have 700 fields between our group now. So even just going through that data... <laughs> so I'll get time and die, then. 700. <laughs> yeah, in, individually, there may not be enough fields to really pull any real trends together. But when you pull them together, just simply for like wheat, just looking at drilling data and yields, you get such a perfect correlation between them. And, you, and for, for all of the crops, just doing similar things. And also maybe looking at yield versus the quality or uh, the drilling dates of the quality. Um, just any anything we could have an effect on. Well, everything goes over the Weybridge, um, but it's never been used other than to know how much grain there is to sell. But why not actually look back at it? And then together with the data you record on your gatekeeper, which all farms do anyway, they will record the drilling date quite accurately, um, what machine they've used to establish it. So just pulling it together and, and analysing it is quite... But how do you decide what the critical data, because there's, everyone's got huge amounts of data, so how do you actually define that's what I need and that's not? So the data has to be able to have some impact. We have to be able to make a decision based on that data or be able to influence it. If, if we're collecting data that we could say, yes, it's wonderful, this is what's happening, but if there's nothing we can do to affect either of those variables, it's not really a lot of use to us. It might be interesting, but we need something like drilling date, we can affect that to a certain extent on when we start drilling. And so, if you've got 25 years worth of data, particularly sugar beet, varieties change so quickly and they roll over. So actually, if you're taking the data from 10 years ago, you've got a totally different crop potentially mm. this year. So so do you take that into consideration? Sort yeah, of we, haven't, we haven't gone back very far at all. Right. We've only, only really been going into detail in the last two years looking at trends we use the yield trends sometimes 
to show us whether we're still increasing or, or whether we're plateauing and comparing that to the regional and the sort of and the England's yields as well, what effect we're having from that. But then also maybe pooling together. So we've got probably 10 years of weather data as well, trying to put that weather data into some sort of format to try and easily see what's happening with that to compare to those long-term yield trends as well. See if we can pick up how our climate is affecting our yields and where those limiting factors are. So it's probably you know, similar to what you're developing now with the beet yield tracker. There's other tools out there, but to be actually doing that on our own fields, in our own location and using our own data, effectively as well to try and, as just Dominic just said, we're only really sort of 18 months to two years, two growing seasons into this, but it's going to take time to pick up trends, to pick up yeah. you know enough data there. But as, as a crop manager, it's so we've got a little bit more of an informed decision on the day we're going to treat a crop what do we need to do? And it starts with the drilling and Dominic's done an awful lot of work on seed numbers, plant numbers, tiller numbers. Already in 18 months, we've probably realised that over the last decade, we've all spent far too much on cereal seed. We can manipulate the crop and cereal crops have a fantastic ability to put out the right amount of tillers in the right conditions. So yeah, we've, we've all dropped cereal seed rates in the last two years on the back of Dominic's work. I must be quite interested. I've just been doing the um, population rates for mm. um, sugar beet, so from the data from 2016 up to this year. So that it's been nice to overlay the actual final yields and just see how things change. And the other one I'll let Dominic explain about a powerful tool with all the operators as well, mm-hmm. you know, as an educational tool and machinery monitoring and fuel monitoring and energy monitoring if you want to. Yeah, so uh, yeah, definitely the biggest impact any of this data has had is showing it to people rather than just looking at it ourselves, even oh, me just looking at it or taking it to the farm managers, but it's taking it to all the operators and even the owners as well to really explain what we're doing. But definitely the biggest impact is to the operators so they know what we're trying to do as well. And they, they can have the, the biggest impact, definitely. And do you use a lot of contract operators or are they mainly your own staff? No, mainly. The majority, yeah, yeah. mostly it's all. But, you know, an example of that, that all the operators here now have a tablet of some form with them when they're doing any field operation. You know, when they're in a field, the clock is running on how long they're there, what depth the cultivator or drill is, how many litres of fuel they're using for that operation. Dominic's technology come back to him automatically. It's not Dominic going out there and collecting all the data. It's making it a simple process that everyone just buys into that data comes. And yeah, there is, you know, there's probably a lot of data we don't use, but cloud-based storage, it's all there. And you never know when you might pull out the right bit that you can help you somewhere down the line. A lot of the growers got contract harvesters. Someone comes in, they've got a set amount of days they're going to spend with you. The crop doesn't stop when the harvester comes in. You need to be out there and just measuring it. And, And you can't necessarily slow the process, but you might be able to tweak things to your own benefit, which yes, that's where it's lucky for you that you've got you know your own staff that pay a little bit more attention. Yeah, it should be, but you know that's where, as a farming industry, we've probably been very poor. That there's always a barrier in there that we, you know, personally, as you know, as we go forward and support payments come down a bit if we don't all work that little bit harder unfortunately there will be upset in the industry going forward so you know i think we recognized that however long ago and you know collaboration is another big thing we tried for many years to do this individually on farms and 
exactly what you just said, Chess, that, you know, we start off with the right intentions, you get busy into a season and you everything go by the wayside at the end of it, you think, oh, we should have done that. These five businesses with the, the potato business as well then collaborate, you know, we can then share the cost of a, a Dominic who pro rata amongst those five businesses and we just know that that information and that... Yeah detailed monitoring is going to be done and then you know this time of year Dominic spends an awful lot of time crunching that data and you know we had a fantastic presentation last week and it was 120 something powerpoint slides but you know he had us on the edge of the seats all day because it was you know it's relevant information that we can all use and actually can drive a business forward with that so and it is the little tweaks that you make isn't yeah. it yeah it might only sound small but it can make a big difference Absolutely. to what you're delivering them. And as James mentioned earlier about it being our own data, using other resources where you're using averages from across large areas, you quite often dilute the real meaning behind it and you can't pick out individual parts of it. But when it's your own, you can, if there's an anomaly standing out, you just can discuss exactly what happened there and what and why. Um, and then, it, yeah, it's all more relevant to us as well because it's our own data so that's quite important to us can you give me an example of like anomaly that you found and, and what you what it's led to quite often when especially if you're just looking at field yield data we have quite such a massive range in in yields it's no other industry would accept the amount of variation we have in our in our um, output where if we say for example why is this field performed so poorly the majority of the time it's drainage or something or so well, that field's not drained it sits wet it didn't do anything over winter and it didn't really produce and then maybe we should get it drained or something is that not a big could it be producing that twice as much we, we found that actually when we'd be trying to look at sugar bee varieties and try and identify which are suitable ones for leaving to grow on to do the autumn yep. growth and you kind of come out with an average and you come out, it's not very exciting <laughs> because it's masked exactly by one or two fields with perhaps that variety which yep. for other reasons it might be a disease soil issue completely kind of just lower the average and actually takes the value out of it doesn't it exactly to your point but the point is the devil is in the detail here yeah you start looking at that at individual farms start actually saying well actually now let's take that field out because that's got a specific issue you suddenly then multiply up sometimes the impact of some of these things don't they definitely varieties often suffer from that terribly uh, and if you look at individual levels some do so much better than others which we don't always pick up in our trials You know, the other one comes from a sort of benchmarking tool as well. That we, you know, we're five businesses benchmarking, you know, slightly different routes on machinery, on distributors, on on suppliers. You know, and I've been involved with various benchmarking tools by sort of larger larger organisations, and you've got to take the results on a lot of them with a pinch of salt. But, you know, everyone has different fixed costs coming into a business somewhere. So full transparency amongst these sort of five businesses. There's a certain bit of competition and rivalry in there as well. You know, when Dominic's put the slides up, but you know, but it, it doesn't. And we've got you know we've got a day next week where we've got um, Philip Wright and um, David Purdy from uh, John Deere are coming, and this it's for all the guys. So you know, between those five businesses, there's 
it's probably nearly 40 operators. So you're going to have a day next week, we'll have some soil pits, you know, Dominic will a scaled down version of his presentation to all the guys and then outside people coming in put their view on it as well. So it then puts a little bit of, you know, competition rivalry between the various teams as well. Yeah. So it's keeping standards up and doing the right thing on the right day. Everyone then has that understanding and when is, you know, when is the manager, it's on the Friday morning and say, look, we probably need to do something over the weekend. It's a lot easier when when everyone has a full understanding of, yeah, well, if we don't do that this weekend, that might be too late next week or, you know, the weather's changing next week. So, powerful tool in that way. As yeah, well. and definitely, again, down to that, that healthy competition, it's quite easy to put all the machines up to compare to one another and everybody knows who operates each machine. So, you could almost put a list of names up of who yeah. is most efficient. Yeah. But, but everyone has their favourite machine, though, don't they? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to try and change them from you know green to blue or vice versa is yeah. a bit difficult. Yeah, nobody's really too yeah. sensitive about that information, are they? Nobody's going to get upset if they're at the bottom of the table. But then we can discuss why actually it is at the bottom of the table, and then figure out what it is. Or it was like that when we first introduced the BYC, wasn't it? Because that initially had 30, 40 growers, and all anonymous. But the first thing growers wanted to know, all desperate to second guess. <laughs> Who was who? And I know when we did the presentation, there was a lot of kind of oh, that. But we knew that. Yeah. We had to anonymize. Well, it's taking us that question. So, what did you do differently? Yeah. And that's a brilliant question, yeah. isn't it? What, what, how did you manage to do that? And when you know, when you can put that up on a screen in front of 40 growers and you can see that range of whether it be yield, whether it be input costs, it does start to stimulate the mind. Well, how can I be up there? What have I got to do differently? I think the challenge with BBO is quite often we can identify the basics. Mm. But actually, you made the point that we've got to get beyond that now. Yeah. We've got to get to level of detail, excellent. And sometimes that, you have to start doing it at exactly the level you're doing at. We can look at BYC and I can share our plant population disease control, but actually, yeah, but how? Yeah. And that brings it down to that kind of slightly micro level, doesn't it? And then, you know, one of our favourite sayings is farming the landscape, that you've then got to bring it back to your own Absolutely. content, your own soil type. You know, we've had a conversation a little while ago about weather stations. We've been the, you know, the data project. We've now got eight weather stations, you know, across North Norfolk. And there's subtle differences, but it's understanding what those subtle differences mean on a different soil type or a different location. So, you know, what works for even someone five miles down the road might not quite work. And, you know, even your end markets and your farming system, it's, it's understanding and adapting it to your own farming system. You mentioned about the software on the, the data side. Have you created your own programme? Uh, yeah, for, for data collection for machinery operations, yeah, we just created a small, uh, simple app, just a sort of um, questionnaire style form that on every field after an operation, you can fill out what machine you're using, what implement it is, how deep you're cultivating, how long it's taken, the fuel used. Um, and a few other points, and then once you, and then you just send it off, and it comes through to me in a, in a spreadsheet to, to analyse later. So for is a small grower on his own, is there anything that he could be doing to measure? You could still measure most of these things. Most tractors now will record their own fuel use, um, the time. I mean, you can record that yourself. You don't necessarily need an app to put it into. You can put it into paper. The only reason we didn't, I wanted to get away from that. There's obviously a lot of operations happening across the four farms and it would take me a long time to go through all the paperwork and paperwork can get lost as well. So that's the reason we created the app was to get away from that. But yeah, you can you can record the data yourself. 
even gateway analysis is very limited. But you mm. can do some averaging and summing and things. Of course, you can then geolocate it, can't you, and do that? So the key one probably is the the attitude and the drive to do it. And you know, we still have to remind the guys fairly regularly, keeping up to date with recording what we're doing and anyone can do it, you can do it on a book in the cab, but it's just having that drive to do it yeah. daily and getting enough information there really and then crunching that together. Consistently and in the same format as everybody else, so that's sort of quite a big part of what I do is to make sure I go around and everybody's Goodness, 30 centimetres of cultivation is the same 30 centimetres <laughs> of cultivation and yeah. And, and you know what I've done? spoke about a little while ago that the reason the collaboration is there and then got the Dominic who does drive that and we've I've tried numerous times in my career a, a little book in the cab to fill in fuel use or something like that and you you know you look at the books and you know they might have the first three or four days when the brush is sort of sweeping clean the new brush sweeping clean but I've been guilty you know from an operator myself you just fizzle out and you know because nobody then collects the book nobody then gives any feedback, you know, why do we bother with that really, yeah. so. But it is the attention to detail there and finding those, again, those small little areas that you make a difference. You've just mentioned about um, collaboration. I know in the past you've had uh, University of Nottingham on site yeah. doing quite a lot of trials and you're involved with quite a few other. Yeah, I mean, you know, my, my previous position to where I was here, we had the, the DEFRA water funding project there and we're probably getting more interest with Catalyst now. We're getting, you know, Dominic's email pings quite regularly with people who want to collaborate with us maybe a little bit more you know we're we're the right partners we're we're very happy to be you know two-way information we're we're a little bit skeptical about people making money just out of our data but the right research organizations yeah we are only too keen to work with and we can create big data sets um, over large areas which work really well so you know that can go into the right research organization to be used yeah we're very happy for that 700 fields <laughs> fantastic data results yeah, isn't it definitely you know, just, we're only i say two growing seasons and 18 months into this so we're we're probably a little bit protective at the moment. You know, one, because we have got, we know two growing seasons is not real representation of two very different climatic seasons. So we need to build this up a little bit as well. But for us with BBRO, I mean, we obviously do a lot of the agronomy side on research. What about the machinery side? Are you doing anything there, looking at new technologies coming in? Yeah, certainly, you know, we're probably focused a little bit more on the cereal side of, of farming. So, and again, within those four businesses, five businesses, there's, there's always a, a demo drill or, or a different cultivation technique coming in somewhere. So follow that through quite quite stringently and Dominic probably focuses on a field where there might be a demo drill, probably a little bit more than farm standard. You, you know, things like variable seed rates, we've all dabbled with it in the past, but we're, we're now putting actual detail onto how variable seed rates will work and, and benefit us as well. So we're quite keen up here on strip tillage. We haven't done any as yet. We're going to do some strip tillage this year and we'll look at that in quite a bit of detail as well. But you know, does that then have a negative effect of, you know, we talk about the green bridge and things like that. So we're always open. You know, I don't I don't think there is the silver bullet coming around the corner. So it's tweaks, it's, it's evolution rather than revolution, but we're looking at ways that we can evolve it, definitely. Probably sort of 20 ideas and innovations are coming through. There's probably one that yeah. might have something there, isn't there? Absolutely. Yeah, I think the variable rate drilling one is an interesting one. That does work with another big farming partnership yep. in Lincolnshire, which I'm very keen on it, but... It's interpreting the data is incredibly difficult, isn't it, to understand exactly what you're looking I mean, at? And what do you do? I was part, I think that was with 
you know, BBRO many years ago, available rate, sugar beet drilling rates. Yeah. Right? Personally, I don't think there's a lot of merit in that. It, within sugar beet, it's getting the right seedbed right for the right plant population rather than on a poorer seedbed putting more seedings. Mm-hmm. You just end up with more smaller beet. So. Or on a good seedbed putting less in. Yeah. I don't know. But I actually right in your camp because I'm struggling to see the yeah. advantage. And I've done some monitoring on the farm. They've done that. But the, the justification, what they've done, I'm not sure I understand. No. Uh, and it's complicated but I just can't see it and I think you're absolutely right and we're, we're an industry which has evolved our seed rates about overcompensating for the losses I think we have. so why don't we actually just actually try and take away the losses in the first place we soon concluded that the emphasis should be on making every individual seed grow at the right spacing rather than compensating the variable rate cultivation Mm. Yeah, do you know that, that's the one which does interest me. Because obviously, a lighter land doesn't absolutely. want to be smashed about. In fact, you'll start doing yeah. more damage to it than any good. And that heavier, stronger land might need a little bit more work to get. Or I suggest, do we dare think about variable rate organic manure application? Mm. Some land will respond better to organic yeah. manures, and we see that in plant populations. So rather than putting a little bit every everything, why don't we concentrate a good healthy dose in the bits of the fields that really need it? Well, our seedbed preparation for sugar beets. Starts, well, it never stops. Wherever we can in our whole rotation, if we've got a point in that rotation where we can add an organic material, we can put a cover crop in, we can change a cultivation technique to benefit our rotation. So you know, we, we shouldn't get to March the 1st and decide what we've got to do this to get a sugar beet seedbed. That should be planned two or three years ahead and that you're doing the minimal in front of sugar beet then to actually just get that sugar beet in established in the right growing condition. It's almost like a holistic view of commercial farming. It's Absolutely. Right? If you're just trying to bring everything in. So thank you for your time, James and Dominic. It's been lovely to be here and uh, we look forward to hearing more of your data and results in future. Yeah, thank you. You're welcome. Yeah, nice to have you. As mentioned, the BBRO have been working on the Beet Yield Tracker, which we will release to growers this year. We hope this will help you all to track your beet crop and make those all-important tweaks to boost your yield. Also, watch out for your post as the 2022 BBRO reference book should be arriving with you very shortly. This will also be available via the BBRO website from the 10th of January. Best wishes from all at BBRO for the new year and thank you for listening. 